That's right. The car is back, and not just any car. That is, of course, tiny football car. Tabla, lovely ball. Ollie Bassett from in close. What a shot from Bassett. Opens up to his weaker right foot. Finds Noah Jensen. Another long-range effort. Jensen's done it. It comes off of a leg. The ball is in the back of the net, off the foot of Alejandro Diaz. It is Corey Benz to play it in. Salter heads it down, it's loose for Shola, off the post, Garcia! Better ball from Benz going up Santos, and Shola, Salter! Played it in, it is in! Rosazi to Rosario, stopped by Sarwa, rebound, Andy Sarwa again! Rea, and what a strike! A thing of beauty indeed. That was the week that was, week six in the Canadian Premier League. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Newsroom as we re- we recap a fantastic weekend in the Canadian Premier League. Christian Jack, as usual, alongside Charlie O'Connor Clark here. We hope you're joining us in a happy place and you certainly enjoyed a lot of the matches this past weekend. In the next hour, we will look back on four more games in the Canadian Premier League. We'll hear from you. Uh, we'll hear from the managers. We'll hear from some key players. And also a special guest will join us later. And you could say... He's certainly one of the current leading early candidates for player of the year. We will tell you who he is when he joins us in around half an hour time, half an hour's time. Um, we may sprinkle in some hockey chat. Charlie, mm, I don't think we that. will. I don't think, I think we're okay. Do that. So, no. Uh, I was going <laughs> to ask you how your weekend was uh, being a Leaf fan. You did two CPL games. Can you give me a kind of summary of how your weekend was without worrying about anything to do with hockey? Um, no. No, no, it was it was a great weekend. Uh, I had a lot of fun exclusively watching football matches and doing nothing else. So nothing else. That's what we're going to roll with. Uh, I had a great time. Hey, and Villa signed Philip Coutinho. So let's put they did. They did. Yeah. Those of you not aware of Palace, but yeah, couldn't be Palace. But that's okay. We've got Coutinho for the long term. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We're big Villa fans here in case you weren't sure. (laughs) Uh, results this week, Forge 1, Atletico Ottawa 1 on Saturday. Charlie and I were both there for that. We'll get to that later in the show. Pacific 2, FC Edmonton 1. We'll hear from Alex, as usual, on the whole things Pacific. Halifax Wanderers 2, Cavalry 2, a barn burner. Uh, the Wanderers grounds on Seth on Sunday. Uh, we'll get Mitchell Tierney on shortly for that as well. And the final one, we'll start with this week. Valor 1, York United 0. We'll work front to back. And uh, basically, Valor 1, York 0. This was an entertaining game. Let's get to the highlights. Um, a wide open game. Uh, both teams obviously looking to try and get the best out of the th- third game in almost a week with the Canadian Championship in midweek. Of course, York knocked out Atletico Ottawa on penalties. Valo were knocked out by the Vancouver Whitecaps of Major League Soccer at BC Place on Wednesday night. Uh, I don't think that fatigue played too much of a factor, Charlie. Certainly in the first half, maybe it was a little bit languid, a little bit slow. Uh, but this was a tremendous game in the end. Um to yeah. CF Montreal Loney's Jonathan Siwa and Sean Ray are getting the headlines. Yeah, yeah. As they, they well, Siwa certainly seems to do a lot. I think that's four out of his five CPL penalties faced now. He's stopped, which is just absurd. Ridiculous. Yeah. Just insane to me. Like, you know, we, we asked Sean Ray after the game about that. And he said, yeah, we, we honestly aren't even worried anymore when we give up a penalty because Siwa is just so. It, he, he just has that kind of back for it for reading a player and for getting off his line quickly. Um, yeah, it, it's these are Rea as well, two very talented players. We see his goal coming up on the screen here. Uh, these are two players that I don't think it'll be very long before we're seeing both of them playing in MLS right. because they're that talented. And there's clearly, you know, a reason that Valor were so keen on getting them both back on loan from CF Montreal and a reason that CF Montreal were so keen on getting these guys, these professional minutes in a, a difficult competitive league. So, you know, very a very good afternoon for Valor, who really had to weather a bit of a storm at times, especially coming out of halftime. You know, York really, really kind of dominated that 20 minutes out of the break. They had a lot of those chances. They win the penalty, they miss it. And then Valor just finds that one moment of magic, which seems to be something that a lot of players in that team can produce at any moment, which is sometimes in this league all you need to to get that win in a close game, right? Yeah, you, you're you on the game for us at Campio.ca. I was calling the game with the great Matt Cullen for Juan Saka. By the way, all highlights on this show, courtesy of Juan Saka, as always. Uh, I love the word you used. You called it dazzling 
in, in your recap. And I thought that was a really good way of putting it. It was a dazzling goal, right? Because it wasn't yeah. just a smash. It was a little bit of footwork. It was a little bit of, of, a little bit of genius, a little bit of creativity. And it also, for those who didn't see it, was a goal out of nothing. Charlie, mm -hmm. they couldn't get anything going, Valor attack wise. And that's worthy of mentioning it too in the storyline of this game. Yeah, it absolutely is. Like, especially in that second half, they were really, really kind of struggling to get into the attacking third at all because York was doing, as they usually do, a very good job of kind of plugging lanes in the midfield and, and just really making it hard for teams to get up the pitch. So the ball just happens to get into that space. And Sean Rea, you know, talented player he is, just kind of dribbles in a phone booth there. Just with very, very little space, you know, he's good with both feet, which really helps in those kinds of situations to get out of trouble. And then the space just opens up a tiny bit for him. There's like a foot of space where he can just sort yeah. of see the bottom corner and he just goes for it. And, you know, uh, to have the confidence to do that is something special. And then to have the ability to actually execute it is another level. So, yeah, I mean, I think York are a little disappointed. It's a little harsh to come away with nothing from that game, I think. Three. Yeah. Um, maybe a draw is probably a fair result for that game. But, you know, in, in this league, when you're Valor, you cannot complain when, you know, you play quite well against a difficult team. The ball doesn't seem to be falling for you in attack, but then you do find that moment. And then that's the kind of thing that can put you in the playoffs or not, right? When you, you have those kinds of results where it just it comes together for you at the end. Yeah. And, and for me, you, you summarized it perfectly. The the ability, the, the the strength of how quickly the ball came off the foot as well, right? Yeah. How, how hard he hit it, and how you know I was surprised Nico Giansopoulos was. It it was literally a split second from dancing around Jordan Wilson, who had a really good game, to the moment he turns and the ball's in the back of the net. That's how quick yeah. it was. Wilson turned to look, and the ball's gone past Giansopoulos. It, it, not just an unsavable shot in the Canadian Premier League. Uh, we'll get to more on York because I think there's a lot to dissect with them in a second. But let's talk about Valor a little bit more. And before we get into Jonathan Siwa and his unbelievable record from the spot, here are the thoughts of Valor boss, uh, their head coach and technical director. Here's Flip Bill Santos. I think that every time we were put in, in um, a bit more of a dangerous uh, position was, you know, a bad giveaway in our half or a poor decision on the ball. And But overall, I think we, we were the best team in the first half and um we finished half well i think that we had you know half chances we were getting in behind and uh, chances to put balls in and square balls um near, near the six yard box uh box so um i felt we should have had a goal at that point in time in the game the games is it's like that it's there's going to be high moments and low moments and you need to manage those and um they came out better in the second half. I think they adjusted the way they pressed. In the first half, four dice, Guti were getting a lot more time and space on the ball in our build-up phase. And then uh, they adjusted. They went with their uh, two of their midfielders pushing on, on our two midfielders, and it made it hard for us. And we started to give too many balls away in our half. And they were, I would say, for maybe 25 minutes of, of the second half, the, the best team. Then comes the PK in a moment where we were in a low and Joe makes the save. And this is what it is. This is how football games go. Uh, we were able to, uh, to take care of that moment. And then I think that the substitutions we made helped us. It gave us control again of the game. Um, I think they were targeting a little bit our exit um, and our possession on the left side as a reference of pressure. And Guti just gave us a little bit of calm and composure there. And then Jacob came in the game very well. And the goal is uh, an act of genius when you look at it again and how he gets out of that pressure and still have the ability to finish the way he finished. Um, these are our are games that are decided often on one action, one play, and um, it went our side today. Active genius is a good way of describing it. Jonathan yeah. Siwa now four from five stopping penalties in the Canadian Premier League. Osvaldo Ramirez, Joe Mason, Marco Bustos, Azazi Di Rosario, some big names on there. By the way, Adam Jenkins has the information all on his Twitter if you need to see them. Uh, Alejandro Diaz is the only player who beat him. And if you go back and watch it like I've done this morning, he actually does him that day. Diaz goes up <laughs> and Siwa's already about to go and Siwa actually doesn't save. 
He doesn't make a save. He doesn't move because he's yeah. reading the legs. And that's how I think he stops a lot of these penalties. He reads it. The Rosario didn't look at all. Um, but just a monumental save at a crucial time as well, Charlie, because, you know, Phil DeSantos alluded to it. That was a really difficult moment for Valor at that point. York came out in the second half and were by far and away the better side and, yeah. uh, and deserved the chance to take the lead at that moment. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that's absolutely what happened. York came out, you know, Phil mentions that York kind of adjusted the way they were playing in midfield. You know, we've spoken about that double pivot that they use a lot, and it's very effective, especially when it seemed like they maybe wanted to to get that midfield a little bit more more pressing on, on Valors to try and get themselves a little bit higher up the pitch, win the ball a little higher up the pitch, and they get into the box. And again, it's, it's Sean Rea to the rescue because that was as Phil said, a low moment in the match for Valor that they had to survive, which they did. You know, the the penalty, it's it's an unfortunate play for Moses Dyer, who, you know, just kind of, it, it's a quick one. It's hard to react and get your arm out of the way yeah. when the ball comes in it's like that. It's the right that. decision, though. It, I think. it is a penalty, absolutely. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's unfortunate. It's not like, a, it's not a malicious tackle or anything like that. No. It's just the letter of the law. That is a penalty. It's an unfortunate moment for them. But, you know, they they're redeemed by... Uh, Jonathan Sirwa, who is often a hero for this side. And we've spoken about goalkeepers on this podcast in the past. And, you know, it's it's not a bad thing for a team when your goalkeeper has to make saves because, again, he's one of 11 guys on the pitch. Um, and, you know, they, they learn from that moment. They're rescued. They don't go down. And, you know, it, it ends up coming their way. So it's a, a bit of a fortunate one for Valor, but, you know, certainly deserving of, of the result in the end. Yeah, in your piece, Phil DeSantos is quoted as saying, quote, he did what he did last year for this club, and that's why we waited so long to make sure we would get him back. He ends the quote by saying, you know that he's always going to give you a chance to win. Still only yeah. 20, the current reigning goalkeeper there in the Canadian Premier League, getting his reps here on loan from CF Montreal. Uh, here is his teammate at CF Montreal and teammate at Valor, uh, the match winner, Sean Ray, talking about Jonathan Sewell. Well, it was an amazing goal, honestly, like, when I saw the ball on my feet, I saw three guys around me, and I'm like, how am I going to get out of this? So my body honestly just took over, found a way out, and I'm like, this is my chance. And I just shot left corner and went in, and it was like just a rush of emotions. It was honestly incredible. Uh, of course, it's, it's Rhea on his goal. What of York, though, uh, Charlie? Because I thought defensively they were very, very good. Again, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you could make the case that the back four was absolutely tremendous. It has to be said, Verhoeven was was ill, non-COVID-related sickness. They missed him in midfield. They've got a lot of players out. Obviously, no Thompson didn't play in this game either. Yeah. Um, you know, Petrasso still hurt. Gutierrez was on the bench. Was, you know, they played a lot of minutes this week. They'd gone to 90 minutes plus penalties. Um, what of them? What did you think of their performance in this one? Defensively, I thought they were very, very good. Yeah, they were very good defensively and they're starting to build, you know, that base from the back they can play out of. I really like how, you know, they've started to to develop some consistency in the back there. Obviously, I think Christopher Ensa had a very good game on the right side there. Uh, and the way that he's able to both either get up the pitch or sometimes he tucks inside when Diodine Abzi's going up that left side and it functions almost as a, a back three in possession sometimes. But it's there's yeah. definitely a lot to like in the way that York kind of build from the back and this was an interesting one for them with the the way that they lined up because it's a, quite a different attacking setup you know you've got Mateo Hernandez on one wing and Eduardo Jesus on the left and I think he's more naturally a fullback but he plays you know quite high up in this game and on the left wing and then Lowell Wright kind of in the middle as a sort of second striker playing off Osasa Di Rosario um it's a bit of a different look for York and they were trying to get into those pockets and they found a lot of them especially as we said early in that second half and, you know, they, they managed to create some of these chances. I think there's still a little bit of that, you know, sharpness and that chemistry that they're looking to build in the final third there. They're not quite there yet, but it's something that's coming along. Because, again, when you rotate personnel through a front front four like that, you know, it, it takes a while for that to start clicking, especially when a lot of these players are newer to the team. But, you know, there's clearly a lot of individual talent in that group. So I think I think I'd, I'd be uh, I'd be quite quite happy with the early signs of Martin Nash. I'd be very happy too. I thought the press was very good as well. Um, you know, as, as an attack, sometimes when you take points off other teams, and I think of Dom's Zator's late equalizer against Ottawa, mm -hmm. sometimes it comes back, right? The swings yeah. and roundabouts. We'll get to that with Cavalry in a second. Um, but what about expected goals against New York? I know what my eyes tell me. They've been very good defensively. I ran the numbers today. Um, they have the best defensive record with expected goals against in the league. Zero point mm -hmm. eight expected goals per game. 
Um, 4.8 expected goals through six games. Um, The best, 0.8. Halifax uh, and Pacific are behind them. Pacific are 0.85 per game. So I think it speaks for themselves. They're very difficult to break down. Um, Before we move on to the next game, here are the thoughts of their head coach. Here's Martin Nash. Yeah. uh, You know, I think uh, maybe the result feels a bit harsh in the end. Um, You know, it was a fantastic goal to win a match, to be fair. But I thought we should have um, at least stopped him with foul with three guys around him. Uh, allowed him to go through, but fantastic finish, you know. It's always tough after you miss a penalty, too, to, um, you know, really have the game a little bit. But uh, I thought we were good for the first 35 minutes of the first half, and I thought we were good for the first, you know, 35 minutes of the second half, really. And I thought we, we tailed off at the, at the end of two halves. Very fair assessment. I actually think. Phil DeSantis' substitutes had a bit more of an impact than Jake mine. Carlos. Yes, yeah, Carlos was excellent. Yeah. Uh, the draft pick, we should say, uh, real technical quality, and he obviously assisted on the goal as well. Um, let's move on uh, to the Wanderers' grounds and bring in Mitchell Tinney, who was our correspondent on this game, as Halifax Wanderers 2, Cavalry 2 was the finish. Uh, Mitch, you're taking on Benedict's role. You're getting entertaining games every week, my man. <laughs> Great to see you. Uh, talk us through this one, a classic game at the Wanderers' grounds. Yeah, absolutely. And a, a game where coming in, both teams talked about, you know, how defensive it was probably going to be. Neither side scored more than two goals um, in a game. And you see here the the first of many set piece goals that we're going to see all four goals in this game scored on set pieces. And um, Cavalry really tried in this game to to clog up the box, um, really get around Christian Oxier, makes him make him indecisive at, at moments like that. Um, and you saw the the dividends there. And then uh, Halifax on their set pieces, um, they often targeted Sam Salter at the back. You see a brilliant header there from from him heading it down instead of heading it up, which which then obviously comes back and Garcia's on the spot to to put it in. Um, and yeah, this is, obviously we we'll, we just keep going. We keep rolling the uh, the set piece highlights here. And here's Salter again, and this time just a calm, brilliant finish. And I'm sure we'll talk plenty about Sam Salter and in the the coming uh, moments uh, about his performance because he was excellent um and this this moment really looked to to seal what would have been a huge win for for Halifax at Wanderers ground but you know Calvary they were the best road team in the Canadian Premier League for a reason last year and they steal one at the death here I don't think uh they expected Dan Klomp to be their offensive dynamo during this game but he, he certainly was and a goal and an assist for the for the Calvary center back yeah, Cavalry, it's a good point that they are a very good yeah, road team. Right? A, a, a really good game. A, a really good game, right, Charlie? I was covering it for one soccer as well, and it was a tremendous game. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. And yeah, sorry, I, 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 I agree with Mitch about Cavalry being a very good team away from home, you know, partly because of the way that they're able to, you know, play that physical game, plug things up in the middle and, and create set pieces. Right. And again, they're one of the best teams in the league at scoring from those set pieces because of just the aerial dominance they have, some of the center backs they have who are able to to get up in the air and, and win those balls and put them in net. And, you know, they're not a team that ever really feels out of a game, right, especially towards the end of a match. Um, so it just the way that they're able to, especially away from home at a difficult place to play, like the Wanderers ground, the way that they're able to maybe just use that physicality to kind of stop them from getting into a rhythm, stop them from kind of getting the crowd into it to just slow things down when they need to, you know, find those opportunities. And I think we, uh, we lost KJ for a second there. I thought it was my internet, but good to, good to learn that it's not this time my fault. But uh, anyway, yeah, Mitch, just Cavalry do seem to be that team that's going to come into people's houses and, and, you know, make things difficult for them on their own turf. Right. Yeah. And I think we can see a team that is able to do things in, in different ways, obviously. And, and like we said with this one, um, I actually, as well as last week, Tommy Wilden Jr. mentioned uh, their, their set piece dominance against Edmonton as well. Yeah. But uh, I mean, this is a team that can attack you out wide. This is a team that has great strikers and great striker depth now as well with, with Meyer Bevan starting to, um, to show up and you know this is a team now that is showing to be dominant on set pieces so it's really tricky to stop yeah. cavalry right now because they can beat you in so many different ways yeah sorry i lost you guys there for a little bit a little <laughs> bit of issues the big storms going on where i am uh let's hear from tommy wilden jr after this one 
Yeah, we work on it every week. And like I said, that's where the credit goes. You know, uh, Leon Apka does a lot of our uh, attacking set plays and, you know, and, and, and movement and looking at the opposition. And the opposition's change, and sometimes you do have to kind of read and react. But uh, we do spend times because in this league, in a league of parity, um, it does come down to it. You know, we won the game against Edmonton on, on two set plays, and now we've come away with a road point. It's massive because... Uh, Halifax aren't going to give you a lot, especially at home. So uh, you've got to make them stretch and pay as best as you can. We'll get into more on Halifax with Mitchell in a second. Before we do that, though, let's go to the man at the moment. In the 94th minute, Dan Klomp, the equalising hero. <laughs> it wasn't the, the best performance. Like We know coming here is a, it's a hard game. Uh, we got to respect and understand the conditions here. It's a six-hour flight, three-hour time difference. and uh, The pitch is not optimal to play, so we can't really play the game the way we want to play it. But yeah, it's a, it was a bit of a scrappy game, but in the end, we come away with one point. And, uh... Mitchell, let's talk about Halifax. Still only lost ever four games at home at the Wanderers' Ground. You were all over that in your preview this week. Coming into this season, the concern about them was goal scoring, chance creation, how they're able to finish games and, and, and score enough goals to be able to do that. Now, they've lost Morelli, who obviously is not coming back for this season. And they, they, I, would have, I would have felt that it would have been a massive impact on them. But attack-wise, they're putting together a very different-looking team here. Garcia played a little bit deeper, almost sat on Elliot Simmons as a false nine. They let Bent go one way and Salter the other. Um, what did you overall think about their attack? Because without Morelli, they look like they look certainly a bit more of a dangerous threat than they did last year, where I think 19 out of 28 games, they scored one goal or less. Yeah, I do think there's a bit of a dichotomy right now versus how they play at home versus away. Like, I right. think that's something Stephen Hart mm -hmm. talked about as well, where they need to to bring this form that they have in front of that incredible crowd at Wanderers Ground when they travel with them. But yeah, like you said, at home, it's it's been very impressive. And they just made another big signing this week with uh, former Ottawa Fury striker Moore Sam, who is going to come in and, and, you know, they're very excited about the the talent that he has. So um, I think I think they should be more than happy, especially with the development of Salter. You know, Garcia is looking um, back to to his abilities, and and Bent is is picking up as well. So I think they've combined well, and uh, yeah, it's it's been impressive. And I, I think that was the big takeaway from Halifax, uh, especially from open play. They were far and away the better attacking side. Yeah, you talk about Samuel Salter. Let's go back to the Wanderers' grounds and hear from him after this one. Yeah. Um, well, it was across second post and. Uh... Um, I think someone missed the first header, so I was just there in a good position to uh, um, score a volley, so that was nice. Mitch, you wrote after the game, quote, Salter showed separate, several different facets of what makes the 21-year-old the most one of the most promising young attackers in the league, be it his ability to get in behind, his clever movement and composure on set pieces, or his ability to beat players with the ball at his feet. He was one of the most dangerous players on the park. And now, after being on the periphery of being a starter last year, in and out, as Halifax could not find any kind of formula, uh, this has got to, got to be one of the guys who's one of the first on the team sheet for Stephen Hart, surely. Yeah, I think even when we haven't seen him as a starter this year, when he comes on, he just instantly impacts that Halifax attack. And um, I think the the biggest thing for me, especially him being a young striker, is just that composure. I mean, we see it on both of the plays where, you know, the first play comes in and it's a bit it's a bit high um the cross but he's able to get over it and head it down instead of just looping it back up into the box and i think that gives shallow the opportunity to attack it in a better way and that's a smart play and then obviously beating carducci in a in an area where a lot of guys just take a swing at that right but he takes the second to to set himself well and and you know i think even with the chance he had in in the second half where he hits the post um he waits out carducci on it and obviously the the split inches away from you know what would have been another goal but i thought it was it was another excellent performance and salter is showing you know composure beyond his years composure is a really good word i think it it, for this Hall and it's a very important one for Halif to to be able to describe halifax with at this point because it's something that i think they apart from morelli they didn't have in front of goal last year you know they would be able to create chances but then the ball would go over the net or trickle harmlessly into a goalkeeper's hands. So for them to actually have, you know, this little bit of extra confidence, this ability to see the play and place the ball better on a set piece or an attacking chance, that is massive, massive news for this club because, you know, last year, again, it wasn't the chance creation. That was the problem. It was mostly the finishing. I don't think I've ever seen a team underperform their expected goals the way Halifax did last year. So if they are able to be a little bit more composed, a little bit, you know, 
more cool in front of net and put those balls away, then, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be okay. I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I uh, hear the thoughts of their boss after the game. Here's Stephen Hart. I thought the team played well. Um, I, I knew I had some concerns once I was centre back got injured, you know, because I knew it's at that time of the game you don't want to lose a centre back, and uh, they're a big team, and uh, we were we were dealing with them fairly well. Um, but the the entire game came down to a game of set plays. Uh, all four goals were, were from set plays, and. Um, you know, I, I think uh, uh, we had we had an opportunity to, to to take the ball to the corner flag, but young player, you know, a little enthusiastic, but the leadership on the on the field should have uh, should have guided him better, because they he can't hear us from the bench. So yeah, I mean, uh, and then we, we we got caught on the on the wrong side of, of Musi had to foul, and. Uh, they, they got the goal. I think it came off his back, actually. I don't think he edited it. But, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. Tough one for Stephen Hart. But let's just say this, Mitchell, your final comment on Halifax. Uh, they got Forge on Friday night. Then they got Toronto FC at home. And then they got York at home. So three big clubs coming in. And Halifax are in a good spirit right now. Yeah, you know, we're going to find out how much of an advantage the Wanderers' ground really is over the next couple of games. I, I will say, um, running the numbers, they don't have quite as much of an advantage in the Canadian Championship. Uh, they've lost a couple of, of matches, even some of the ties they've won. Um, they've lost the, the home round there. But certainly, uh, we saw again why why it's such a great and difficult place for opponents to come, but a great place for for them. So we'll really find out what this Halifax team is is about over the next couple of weeks, as you said. Appreciate it. Great job, Mitchell Tinney. Again, read all of his work at campiel.ca uh, and an outstanding analysis piece. Again, thanks a lot, Mitchell. Um, he's right, though, about Halifax, Charlie, because, you know, at the end of the day, they're in better spirits than we imagined they would be prior to this, right? I yeah. mean, when the Morelli injury happened, I think many of us thought, uh-oh, they'll be, they'll be closer to the bottom than they will be to the top. But here they are. They're, they're fully in contention here for a, for a playoff spot, you know, competitively all season. Yeah, I mean, almost everybody is, I think, at the moment because uh, the league is very, the league table is very tight at the moment. But yeah, Halifax, uh, are probably quite pleased with you know the progress they're making. Obviously, in a very difficult situation when Morelli goes down like that, but you know they didn't really have much of a choice but to figure it out and make it work. And if some of these players are starting to put balls in the net, Akeem Garcia in particular, if he is able to find that scoring form, then yeah, you know this this team can actually make some noise because of that base that they have of being so difficult to beat as well. From east to west, let's bring in our man out west. Again, Alex Gangay-Rusik was in uh, Victoria for this clash out west as the Pacific. The champs just keep on rolling. Alex, they defeat FC Edmonton by two goals to one. Great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Um, your overall thoughts on this one as we roll the highlights from Starlight Stadium. Yeah, I mean, Pacific just continue to find a way, especially at, at home. I mean, it was something I asked about after the game. I'm, it's five wins now for Pacific this year. All five have been decided by one goal. They they just keep finding a way to, to, to get out on the, the top of these one-game matches. But I think that's really the, the champion's mentality. I mean, there are some aspects of it. They, they maybe wonder, okay, you don't need to, to, to make every game tight. Like a game like this, you're up 2 nothing at home. Uh, Edmonton makes a late push, uh, makes things exciting. I think that was something that Pacific wants to clean out of their game, but they continue to find the way, uh, find a way, sorry, to, to come out on top. But uh, on the other side, I think full credit to Edmonton. Not only did they come into this game you know, severely undermanned after, you know, a, a busy couple of weeks of action. They they left home a bunch of their best and, you know, most important players. And despite that, they they, they were running with a very, uh, you know, young and experimental lineup and they put in a shift. They did not look out, outmanned at all. They they were working hard. They were they were quite organized for a lot of the game. And I think, think the fact they were even able to make a late push despite going down 2-0 was, was a full credit to them. So very... Overall, I'd say it was a very, you know, solid game. At the end of the day, Pacific did uh, what they've been doing all year, which is just finding a way when they, they need to just grit, de grit their teeth, grind it, and, and get the job done. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that Pacific are the team to beat in a CPL right now, right? You know, they come in as champions, and they demonstrate why pretty much from the very beginning of the season. And I think we're definitely seeing teams come up against them and want to put in their best effort against that team because somebody wants to be the, you know, we saw cavalry do it at home, but everybody wants to go into starlight stadium and spoil that party because Pacific have just been so good there. And I think we're seeing teams, 
you know, kind of hold on and just try to get something out of that game towards the end, right? In Edmonton in particular, they have done it a few times this year where, you know, they the first half is very difficult for them. They struggle a little bit. They let in a few goals. But that team, despite how young they are, how new they are, like how how little time they've had to really build chemistry, they do not quit in a game. Sure. In a, I don't think any game that we've seen Edmonton play have we seen them kind of fold in the last 20 minutes. And there are certainly games where it felt like teams could when you go down two goals or something and and it's really not going well. Edmonton somehow seems to find that little bit of energy at the end to at least get a goal, to get something, to get you know something that they can build off of and, and remember that game for. So I am impressed by that. But again, Pacific, I think James Merriman said after the game that he wanted his team to maybe kill off games a little bit earlier. And there's games where it felt like they've done that, but then they let the other team in just a little bit. It still doesn't feel like they're very threatened at the end of these games but you know the, the score lines are maybe not uh not necessarily reflective of the way that they've dominated a full game right yeah it's great it's a great observation charlie i think that they obviously want to be able to have a bit more comfortable moments near the yeah. end of the game and fc edmondson by the way talk about making it uncomfortable they did that to cal to cavalry in the champion the champ game i commented on that game cavalry on the ropes at home uh late mm-hmm. in that game midweek um alex a couple of things i want to ask you about uh maybe you can answer both of them a two-part question First of all, the tactics, they go to a back three and you wrote that that helped their wide players on our campl.c analysis piece. Talk a little bit about seeing that live. And second of all, the feeling in that stadium right now, you go, you went again, you've been there many times. Is there a feeling of just authority amongst the fans and expectation they're going to win and enjoyment that they're feeling like they're seeing this? Is it a party atmosphere? They score a lot of goals early. They dominate the ball. This is going to be a fun environment. I know it's a two-part question, but if you can just break them down for it, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to start the, the back three was something I was fascinated with. I saw it uh, on paper in warm up. They were warming up as a back three. So it was certainly a plan as, you know, as we kind of noted, it w- didn't always end up looking at, like a back three. I do wonder if that's familiarity, like Thomas Mergiguer kept, you know, pushing way over to, you know, inside instead of, you know, going all the way out to the left as he should. I think that was maybe a bit of him being a bit uncomfortable on his left foot. And then Abdu Samake just kind of naturally shifted into being a fullback. I think that's also a reflex from him playing there. But I think for the most part, it made a lot of sense. I mean, Samake was immense last year, uh, especially in the, you know, at the beginning when they first came back from the bubble. And then, you know, obviously, Mergiguer was injured. Samake was, you know, people forget he was one of the first choice center backs for a while there and he was doing very well I saw some dominant performances from him so you have a guy like that just kind of sitting on the bench you're running kind of with your first choice of Amir Didic obviously Lucas McNaughton's replacement you've got Mergio back and healthy the fact that you can kind of bring in a guy like Samake it makes sense and then the big reason why is the wingbacks I think uh, you look at Pacific's group, uh, we, we've talked a lot about Kunle Data Luke and his growth this year as a replacement for Caden Chung. You add in George McCumble-wise, his backup, I think, can also offer similar potential long-term from what I've seen from him these past few years with the Whitecaps. You go over on the left, you've got you know Nathan Mavilla who's come in. You've got you know Jordan Haynes, who is so reliable and solid. That's about as deep of a fullback group as you're getting in the CPL. It's not just you know the the, the starters, it's the depth. And the fact that you can by switching to a back three we know the importance of a back three it's all in the wingbacks it's all about how you can get the, the control of the wingback so it makes a lot of sense for pacific and i think that's something that merriman kind of spoke about because when i asked him i was kind of wondering like okay is it you know is this just an experiment is this because you're playing an edmonton side where you're expecting to hold on to a lot of the ball no he said that he knows the profile of his players he knows that this is something they can do so he wanted to use it as a, as a reference point so i think it was a very you know interesting move and i think one that can uh, suit Pacific a lot long-term based on their, their profile. And then to answer your other question, uh, KJ, with the, the, the crowd, it's something. I, you can just feel that there's the, the fans there. You talk to them, you see them. There's just, yeah, this expectation that they're going to win. And they're realistic about their, their team. You, you, you see that they know that Pacific hasn't really hit their, their quote-unquote best, at least not enough this year. They're kind of still rolling through the gears. Yet when they play at home, they just know that they're going to score when they need to grit out a win, you know their fans are going to be there cheering them on at the end if it's a one-goal lead and they, they need to hold on. And for me, that's the most impressive thing, how every week they seem like on cue, they score within the first 10 minutes, they do what they need to, they they survive a late push, and then the last 10 minutes, right when you think the other team's going to get back into the game, 
they kill the clock off so well. They bring in their subs and they're just taking the ball to the corner flag, just passing it around and making sure they don't make any sloppy mistakes. So it's a really professional team performance. And then the crowd, I think, just boosts that with how they cheer them on from the beginning with those early goals. And then right at that late push, you, you hear the drums, you hear it just continuing to, to push and to push. And and it, it's kind of made this this whole fun atmosphere where you know what you're expecting from these games. Fantastic stuff. I mean, they're an absolute credit to our league and uh, they're streaking away with it right now. Uh, no other team has won more than two games. Uh, Pacific's won five. <laughs> Think about it that way. I know they've had some home games, but they are absolutely dominant right now. Um, Alex, you're dominating stuff on our website as well. Congratulations. A great analysis piece again. Thanks for joining us, my man. I will chat with you next week. Enjoy the week. Awesome. Thank you, Alex. We'll stay out west for our next guest. And we alluded to it off the top. The next guest is... Without question, one of the favorites, the early favorites for player of the year so far in the Canadian Premier League, uh, dominating out there as well. It was Manny Aparicio is waiting patiently to join us. Uh, Manny, Christian, and Charlie, thanks for joining us. How are you feeling on Monday morning? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us, my man. Again, another victory. Uh, we heard what Alex thought of it. We've read some of the analysis piece on our side. What was the thoughts of yourself and the club after winning on Saturday against Edmonton? Yeah, just hearing there what you, what you guys were talking about, I, I think I agree 100%. You know, we, in the, in the last few games, obviously we, we've come away with wins, but it's not that those those types of wins where maybe we're, uh, you know, 2 nothing up at home and we're looking for that third to kind of kill teams off and, and we haven't been able to do that yet. Um, I think I, I read a stat from you guys yesterday about how we've been up by multiple goals, you know, many times in the year already, but haven't been able to finish off games by more than one goal. Um, and obviously at the end of the day, you know, three points is three points where, like you just said, we're the only team with five wins. Um, so, you know, that, that gets us in first place, of course, but if we want to be, you know, a little bit nitpicky and, and start seeing at the bigger picture, you know, we have 28 games in a season, playoffs, cup coming up, conquer cap as well. Later on in the season, you got to start, you know, maybe killing teams off early. Um, so I think that's our next step kind of moving forward as a team as well. Yeah, Benny, as you mentioned, the schedule is going to get a lot busier for you guys in the next couple of months. So it's got to be really important, at least, to be you know putting some of these results in the bag, even when you feel like you've got another gear to get to, right? You're still able to to win these games and to put those those points on the table, right? And even though you know that you can get better and you can continue to improve as the season goes on, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, you're always improving. You're always getting better. Uh, we're learning. The coaching staff is learning as well. We also have a young coaching staff. Uh, so we're all kind of in this together. But like you said, if, if we can put games early away, um, you know, if we can get more subs in, we can get subs more minutes so they can feel fresher for, for games when we need them the most. Uh, we can start rotating the team. Uh, you know, it, it'll come a long way when we can start, you know, putting those games away, especially at home. So uh, I, I feel like uh, against Edmonton this last game, we went up 1-0. Early on in the game, could have maybe had a second before half, and that changes the whole dynamic of the game. Manny, I know you're a team first guy, and it's not easy to get you to talk about yourself, but I'm going to try. Um, we've been we've been raving individually about you so far this season. Again, you're in the team of the week again this week. Um, it seems like your final third entries and your explosive runs from midfield are happening more often this season. You're certainly getting up higher up in the pitch a little bit more. That's what we think. When you go back, and I know how self-critical you can be what are you thinking right now of your game how are you analyzing your game how different are you feeling about it yeah I, I would agree um I I think uh with James and Armando the assistant coach they've given me a lot more freedom um with with power more of a structured midfield which which was great obviously we won a championship so we can't we can't say anything about it but um for me personally I feel like I found a little bit more form on the on on the ball side of it um, you know, we have we have Jamar Dixon who can most of the time hold a little bit more either. Well, this game, it was me and him, but either before Baldissimo or Young who also hold a bit more. Um, so it gives me a little bit more freedom to try to get in the box on those late runs or, or you know, putting those last passes up there uh, and help the team try to try to assist and score. Um, I think it's a big thing Armando has come in and, and talked to me about uh, throughout all of preseason. Um, and I think now we're, we're finally starting to see it a little bit. Yeah. It's very impressive, I think, the way that Pacific, you guys are able to get into the attacking third and create chances. But the other thing that impresses me is, especially from the front, the work that you guys do off the ball to get it back. You know, Manny, you're 
third in the league in recoveries and you're an attacking midfielder, right? So, I mean, first of all, how do you have the energy to press that much? Is it all the spin classes you're doing on? <laughs> let's get let's get to that for a second. That's a great line, do by the way. Know about that? We, we got to get to this, Manny. You guys win again on Saturday. You're top of the league. No other team's won more than two. You've won five. You're expecting a nice day off. You know, yeah. maybe you got the fiance over. You can cook a nice dinner, and then what? When did Merriman and Pacific drop this spin class that you guys were on? Well, that's, I think that's the hardest part. My fiance was the instructor, so I had no say. <laughs> I had no say if I could go or not. <laughs> Whose idea was that? Was that your idea to go to that? No, no. I, the the team and, and Spinko, the company, kind of did like a mm. partnership. So, you know, it was just a team a team outing, kind of like a regen day. But honestly, it wasn't much of a regen day. After the class, we were, we were all dead. But regen it, was day. To, it was good to I kind of it. switch it up from on the field. I love it. It's The guy's yeah. run like 12, 13 kilometers. He's just dominated midfield. And it's like, oh, you got to do a spin class now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh that's amazing and i didn't realize your fiance was running the class it couldn't have been even better yeah <laughs> uh, i'd be fun rowing and ready to go you oh, have no. to be. yeah you have to be the most enthusiastic member of the class otherwise you'd have heard it when you got home no doubt about it i yeah. love that um you mentioned james earlier this team won the championship last year you've got that winning mentality we just talked to alex about that we've been there this in the stadium we feel it ourselves this year uh is that one uh, one of the biggest strengths of james is that he's just continued to keep that going obviously he was involved last year on the par as well but there's really it doesn't seem like any you know mentality drop off here at all despite the change in head coach yeah i think so i think the a big thing has been he's been around from day one here he knows exactly how things were run with other coaches with pot with you know ownership how everyone wants this club to kind of function and, and the path they want to take so i think he's come in and you know he he's had he has that same mentality he wants to win um, from day one, he told us he wants to win the season uh, and not just playoffs. He wants to, you know, be number one after the 28 games. Uh, I think he's mentioned that to you guys as well already. Um, so he has that high expectation from us. He knows we have a, a deep squad and a good team to be able to do it. Um, and now he just wants to, you know, perfect those little things. He's also a lot about, you know, uh, bringing up players and, and having these young guys play and, and pushing on players to bigger and greater things. Um, so I think all in all, it's kind of that that Pacific mentality that we've seen over the years, even from, I remember 2019 playing against them, how many young guys they had and how many guys they were trying to push on and, and, and you know, build. Um, so I think it's just that being portrayed and then with a little mix of a few older guys or more veteran guys that, uh, you know, now we're starting to see the result of, of winning games, you know, week in, week out. Yeah, that continuity to me seems like something that's really important to you guys, especially under James. But on the pitch as well, right, Manny, you have that front three of, you know, Josh and Alejandro and, and Marco on the right side that obviously you've played a lot with last year. Just how nice is it for you to maybe just have those guys that you've worked with? And it seems like you guys all know where one another are going to be on the pitch at all times. And that's how you're able to find them, right? Yeah, I mean, as, as funny as the spin class is, you know, that, we do have that that tight knit group where where we all like you know we like being around each other. It's not just like on the field and then you know we're off the pitch and and, and we hate each other. Or we're not friends. We're all really good friends. We're always joking around. We're always trying to do extra things off the field to you know to be around each other. To you know, at the end of the day, a lot of us. Well, Josh is is from from here, but a lot of us are from out of town. So we kind of have each other and each other's partners to kind of you know create those groups. Um, and I feel like that's one of the big things that we've built here. Uh, we have a really tight-knit group and a, a tight-knit uh, team that from the youngest guy to the oldest guy, you know, we're always trying to do things together and, and doing stuff off the pitch as well, which I think goes a long way as well. A couple more questions with uh, arguably the best player in the Canadian Premier League in current form, Manny Aparicio. Um, we talked a, bit, a little bit earlier, Manny, about the tactical change. You heard what Alex had to say and what we've written about it. What was it like to play in it? What did you like about it? And was there any different kind of responsibilities that you had to think about when you go in, obviously just covering a midfield with the, with two, even though you guys did you know enough work to cover for three? <laughs> um, yeah, no, obviously it was different. We 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 knew that Edmonton, for knowing from when we played them at their home, uh, they sat back quite a bit more. So our idea was kind of, you know, put three in the back so we're a little bit more secure. And then get Kunle and uh, Dada Luke and, and Nate Mavilla up higher, 
just so we could have that width options, knowing that, you know, Bustos likes to come in a lot. Josh likes to come in a lot. Um, so I think all in all, it was a great game plan. I think it was the, the, the game to try it as well, because obviously you can't just try it in any game uh, at home in front of our fans, knowing the way that Edmonton would probably likely play. Um, I think it was the right timing. And then as, as for me and Jamar in the midfield, yeah, it was at times maybe you felt a little bit outnumbered, but I feel like our idea was to have possession of the ball um, and, and recover so quickly and, you know, trying to force them to play that long ball, three center backs winning headers and us just cleaning up the second balls. And I think that's kind of where we executed. Um, in this league, if, if you watch around the league, a lot of the times whichever team wins the first and second balls is the team that's in, on the front foot. Um, so if, if you can win that, and I think that's what we did yesterday, you, you always have a step ahead of, of the other team. I think just while we've got you here, Manny, I think it'd be a shame not to ask about some of the other things that are coming this season. You know, we've, we've alluded to them a couple of times, but you guys have some big things coming up in the Canadian championship and specifically CONCACAF. I'm personally very excited to see what you guys do in that competition. Just how much do you guys talk about what kind of things are on the table for you this year and how excited are you for those sorts of games? Yeah, on, honestly, in the change room, we haven't really talked about CONCACAF much yet. Um, I think, you know, it feels like so, so long away, away uh, yeah. where we have, you know, the league coming up. We have the cup coming up as well. And now we have a, a midweek game coming up against York um, and, you know, so many things that we still have to play for. But at the end of the day, it is it is a big, big accomplishment that we got there. And now we also want to, you know, not only get in there for next year by winning this league, but also get, you know, frame further stages, just like Forge has in the past. I think that's what this league is for. I think we have the quality to do it. Um, and at the end of the day, it's going to be fun to go to, I don't know where, maybe Honduras play away with, you know, those those environments and stuff. That's I think that's what we all play for, to play in those environments with, you know, packed stadiums, with people yelling at you. Um, at, at least for me, that's my favorite type of games. <laughs> and, and to bring some of those teams to... Vancouver Island as well, right? That's yeah, be exactly. Fun. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're pretty special indeed. Uh, Manny, you've been so gracious with your time. We can't thank you enough. Uh, hopefully you get a bit of rest after uh, dominating a midfield and dominating a spin class this weekend. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> My Thanks, pleasure. Man. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Manny Aparicio from Pacific FC. Uh, it, quite frankly, Charlie, has been immense this year, no? Yeah, he absolutely has. Absolutely has. And it's just a very entertaining player to watch on and off the ball. As I said, the way that he kind of chases down opposing midfielders to win the ball back. And then he's able to find those passes up to one of those, you know, those wingers or up to Diaz. It's, it's dominant in a lot dominant. of senses. Yeah. It's, it's very, yeah. very impressive. Yeah. Lots of people to talk about and highlight for Pacific. You mentioned Diaz golden boot leader right now, five goals from seven appearances as well. So, and yeah. you know, Bustos has been terrific again. And you know, there's a, there's a lot to like about that club before we go on to our final game here are the thoughts after this one of FC Edmonton boss, Alan Koch. We haven't been really rewarded because we haven't won a game yet. Um, but you can see the performance are getting better and better. Uh, we've been to some tough places to play. Uh, I think at times the players are maybe a little fearful, uh, but the more and more of these games we play, the more confidence they're going to get and they're going to grow from these experiences. So, yes, we're developing players. That's our primary focus. We're, we're keeping a, a club in a league so the league can continue to grow. Uh, but I am, as you mentioned, I am developing players, uh, hopefully some for our club, but definitely developing players for other clubs too. Certainly not a, a, a week where they got the victory, but certainly a rewarding mm -hmm. week for some of their performances for FC Edmonton who get Ottawa next week. Uh, they go to Ottawa at home. Uh, so hopefully they'll to build on that and try and get their first victory of the season. Uh, to our final game of the weekend. For that, we go back to Saturday at Tim Hortons Field where Charlie and I were both in attendance as Forge, very short-handed Forge, played without any centre-backs. They're all yeah. hurt. Uh, they went down uh, against uh, like a goal to nil early to Atletico Ottawa. who had some really good chances. Balu Tabla, again, was extremely lively. In fact, we're going to get to it. But that right-hand side for Atletico Ottawa caused a lot of problems for Forge, particularly in that first half. And it was no surprise in the end that that was the route to the to their goal. Haworth on the right-hand side eventually combined very, very well here. Again, to the aforementioned, Balu Tabla was heavily involved. Just watch the mm -hmm. touch here between him and Oli Bassett. If you're watching on the live show, a tremendous pass in and Bassett with the delivery and the goal. So a fantastic goal for him. Oli Bassett again named in the Gatorade team of the week this week. And at that point, Ottawa in control of the game, Charlie, and challenged Forge to get back into this one. And as usual, Forge couldn't quite take away the chances that came for them, particularly in the first half. 
Yeah, yeah, they they certainly could. I thought that Forge probably did enough to win this game in the second half, but the goal just didn't seem to fall for them. You know, we see some of these just just absolute desperation goal line stops from Ottawa. Um, you know, Bobby Smirniota spoke a little after the game about how he expected them to do a lot of defending and to sit back a little bit in that block, and they did, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, and I think they did quite well in it, but Forge of they're still not quite there, I think, in the final third, right? You know, I was looking at some of the stats this morning. They're like second in the league in passes attempted. They have the most touches in the box of the entire yeah. league. But the weird thing is they have the fewest open play chances in the entire league from the start of the season, which is very uncharacteristic of Forge and surprising because they still, again, near the top of the league in, in passes into the box and, and entries into the final third. But it's just those those final chances that they need to to come away with, right? We saw a few fall for Taron Campbell in this game, but maybe a moment of hesitation, a split second where it's not, you know, as, as dangerous or as challenging a shot as you would hope to see from those situations, especially when the ball comes in from the left side and he maybe takes that extra touch to switch it to his right foot rather than just taking it with his left. Um, so it, it, it's, again, I think it will come for Forge. Uh, I, I'm not particularly worried because of just how much individual quality there is. But I think we saw in this game they were starting to maybe try a few different things in the in the attack just because they need it to, to come up. You know, they play with two strikers with Taryn Campbell and Wubens Pasias uh, in this game. You know, partly maybe there's necessity in there because of just who is available. But we're starting to see them maybe experiment a little and find a different formula because it hasn't fully clicked for them yet. It's nowhere near clicked enough. And it's been a common yeah. theme of our shows every week here. You use yeah. the word hesitant. They've been hesitant in front of goal. Yeah. and we in the media are hesitant to start raising the alert button with Forge <laughs> because of the way they are and yeah. because they've been slow starters in the past. You wrote the analysis on the on, on the website. Um, the Hammers will likely leave this game feeling as if they left two points on the table considering the volume and quality of chances that they were unable to finish. 67.7% possession, generated 16 shots to Ottawa's six, but just three on target. 37 touches in the box and 58 final third entries plus 43 crosses, paint the kind of picture of bombardment they leveled, they leveled at Ottawa's penalty area, but they continue to lack the clinical edge required to convert most of those chances. I think that's really well said. Think about this. I mean, and I know they could turn it on eventually. We talked a little bit about this last season, and then there was a game last year, I think they played Ottawa that I was at, where they battered them 4-0, and yeah. they could have won eight, and suddenly it was like, bang, okay, the floodgates are open, and I think they're going to come. But they've, you know, they've played five games now and the, and the rhythm's lacked because they've missed that one game. I, I understand that. The Janssen goal was from a set play at Pacific where they had a lot of the ball, but they couldn't score. Yeah. Jab Rapport's goal was a screamer. Sean, Sean, Sean goal was a bit of a screamer as well in the last minute, right? Two individual yeah. quality goals outside the box or very close to it. And, and Jensen's was a goal like that as well. Now the other three goals came against Edmonton. And I think we're allowed to put them in a different parts because of the opposition. I think we're allowed to say that, right? Again, ultimately, sure. they're a different team and a different kind of opposition that if you're going to evaluate this club on their credentials to win again, I don't think we'll be evaluating too many games against Edmonton. Is that fair, Charlie? Yeah, yeah, probably. And again, that was that was the game where Taryn Campbell looked like yes. the Taryn Campbell we know, right? And we haven't seen that same kind of clinical edge in any of these other games. So, you know, we know it's still there, but they just have to find that way to again, find him. I think, Bar you know, something that Campbell did a lot at Pacific last year was he would get balls through the middle mm. a lot, especially from, uh, you know, friend of the show, Manny Aparicio right. would often find him. Uh, and this time, you know, Forge have been playing a little bit more from those wide areas, especially against Ottawa in this game. You know, Ottawa gave them absolutely nothing through the middle of the pitch. You know, they mm. Forge tried to have Tristan Borges in that sort of number 10 role, but they just could not find him nope. at all. And it's, it's a credit to Ottawa's midfield, absolutely. But the fact that they had to play so many crosses in this game, 43 is an absurd number, but the fact that they had to attack from those wide areas was, you know, maybe not necessarily what they would have wanted to do. So I, I think, yeah, I, it's it's that little bit of clinical, you know, precision and, and quality that just hasn't been there yet. So no. I, I, I don't I don't know how concerned Bobby Smirniotis would be, but he's, he would certainly probably admit that he needs to see a lot more from his team in that final third. We know there's injuries, but let's uh, let's you know let's hear from Bobby Smirnoff after the game on his thoughts on this one. Yeah, you ever seen a team play with no centre backs? <laughs> uh, we've done it um, today, and we've done a pretty good job with it. We have guys that are that are versatile. You know, it makes uh, 
your uh, head spin a little bit as a coach, but there's always a solution in, in how you're going to do it and how you're going to get the best out of uh, different players. Today it was Janssen, who's been excellent playing there as kind of that pivot there, and uh, Ashton and, uh, and Abu. And I thought they were excellent. They are excellent in allowing us to progress the ball a little bit quicker off the field and uh, playing against a, a low block, um, something that now we've done the last couple of games going back to Wednesday. Um, so it's something we we thought that the Ottawa would do, and uh, they obviously did, and them getting the goal earlier allowed them to sit a little bit further. Uh, but the guys were were very good on the ball, how they were defensively. I think it was it was okay, but they didn't have much to do. Um, so maybe on another day, it's a, it's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, we're always going to find the solution. We're never going to complain when somebody's uh, missing or so on. We have to find the solution and keep on moving. Now, on this show, we like to highlight our stars in our Canadian Premier League and bring them to your attention very quickly. We were big on Moosey early on in the season, Ali Moosey of Calvary, Dom Zatori singing his praises. We've got Aparicio and Bustos on the show. Uh, another one I want to sing the praises of is Alexander Ashnoli Janssen, one of our favorites here. Bobby Smirniotis alluded to him there, but I felt in the press conference it was worthy of a follow-up question. Here's Bobby on the Swedish stylish midfielder playing centre-back. Yeah, 100%. You know, first and foremost, uh, you know, we're lucky to have a player like Janssen playing in this league. Uh, this guy can be playing in a, at a higher level. Um, he just reads the game. He reads the game in all, all ways, uh, whether he's playing in the midfield and an advanced role and in a pivot role in the six and when he's dropping back to to start every attack from, from back there. So it's it's great to have a player like that. It makes uh, not having center backs in your lineup easy because, you know, you can uh, put somebody back in there and he, and he understands things tactically on all parts of the pitch. And uh, that's the great thing about him. He loves to, to understand uh, what we're doing and why we're doing it. And uh, that shows again in a game like today. We should also allude to Kyle Becker didn't start the game, came on yeah. and played about 20 minutes and then ran about 15K in his sprints after the game. <laughs> uh, thankfully, he's back. He was suffering from some sickness earlier in the week and wasn't ready to play 90 minutes. Uh, Charlie, but thankfully, Forge still have Janssen when they don't have Matusla, they don't have Samuel, they don't have Krutzen and many others. And uh, boy, oh boy, are they lucky to have a play like that. Yeah, Janssen is, is incredible. And he's been in this league for four years now. And he's, you know, never he's always always been this just incredible player with his range of passing on the ball uh he's as we've alluded to he's a, a midfielder he's not a natural center back and he would much prefer to be playing in midfield i think from from having spoken to him but he is perfectly happy to play center back when necessary and he's very good at it in that three you know being that kind of base of the of the formation there he's able to whether it's go out to the side to one of those back three or he can put it you know, a little bit further up the pitch to a, a high fullback. Kwesi Poku likes to get up that left side a lot, and he's yeah. able to find him. So just Johnson's ability to read the play, especially from just the very back of the formation, he can see everybody on the pitch, everything's in front of him, and he can hit pretty much anybody with a pass from there. So they are, as as Bobby said, he's, we're very lucky to have a player like that in the CPL. Oh. Yeah, one of my favorites, no doubt about it. Um, and, you know, just an unbelievably cerebral player. Uh, yeah. So clever. Uh, the CPL Busquets, as I call him, because uh, <laughs> I think it's just that's how good he can be uh, at reading the game. Um, we'll finish on Atletico Ottawa, who again get another point. And I think it's very clear now the honeymoon period is over. Uh, and it's clear this is not last year's Atletico Ottawa. Uh, and it's also not the team that got smashed by six goals to one by Valor. Yeah. This is a difficult team to break down. Uh, before we hear and uh, from the man who wrote the analysis, Charlie himself, let's go back to Tim Hortons Field for some reaction from their goal scorer. Here's Ollie Bassett. Yeah, it was a, it was a shift, to be fair. Um, I think ever since we scored, we were kind of defending, you know, relatively deep. Um, I think the, the back four had to put their bodies on the line at times to, to stop the ball going in the back of the net. But I think, you know, on the road against a, a good team like Forge, um, you know, two-time uh, champions, I think uh, we'll, we'll take we'll take that point for sure. Charlie, they've been in seven games now in all competitions and only that one got away from them. And it was a, it's seemingly like an aberration now, that Valor yeah. game on the counter-attack. This team is in every game and they're very difficult to break down. Incredibly difficult to break down. You know, they, they started the season playing a lot in that kind of back five where they would sit a little bit lower and, and they were very good defensively there. But they've been able to maybe put another man a little higher up the pitch now with, with obviously Balu Tabla playing in that sort of free-roaming quasi-center-forward role up front in their 4-4-2. Um, and they're able to play with a back four and maybe you know push some more numbers up the field and come out and play a little bit more. And we're seeing them progress, and it's very impressive. And part of the reason that they're able to you know maybe develop play a little bit more and get a little bit further up the pitch is that midfield i think which has been so impressive to me ollie bassett 
again a, a fantastic player in this league who's been just so good in that so good slightly more more you know further back role than we would have seen him at in pacific and you know he's playing alongside Adu Sissoko in this game but whether it's Sissoko or Ben McKendry that double pivot that two-man midfield for Ottawa has been very very good at just keeping an eye on all of the spaces around that those central areas and just making sure that they're marking the opposing team's number 10 or, or central midfield out of the game because they were able to as, as I said earlier they blocked out pretty much every passing lane towards Tristan Borges for Forge to try and attack through the middle and part of that is just the amount of ground that they cover Ali Bassett's work rate is phenomenal in this game. We saw him, you know, coming into the six-yard box to make tackles in this game, and then he was getting up the field, as we saw for the goal with that that incredible run and give and go with Balu Tabla. So, I think there's a lot of strength in that Ottawa midfield, and they just make it so so difficult to play through them. They don't really give up much space in their own half. So, it it you really do need that kind of individual quality to be able to play through them or step around a player because they're just not going to give you those easy passes. Yeah, it's a well, very well said. A very difficult team to break down and um, a team that looks good away from home. Yes. Really di- really good away from home. Revel in it and find ways to stay in games now. As I said, I think I was talking to somebody on the weekend. That was a game, another one. We'll choke off to another one. A game they would have lost last year. It would have been a yeah. game they would have lost. And this time they stay in it and they're resilient and they find ways to getting to keep in games. Um, yeah, some great comments and questions coming in from the likes of James and Omar and Mitchell. Uh, Aaron, uh, thanks for your questions. We're kind of running out of time. Some questions about Omar Brownie. He would be a good addition. I think watch this space. I still think they're still trying to get him here very mm-hmm. soon. And uh, yes, Forge will be fine when he comes in as well. Uh, so thanks for everyone for your comments and questions and for watching it live. Let's take a look at the Canadian Premier League standings as Sigma Week 6 has come to a close. And it is Pacific running away with this one. They have played a game more than some, two games more than some as well. Top of the clock right now, 16 points from seven, double the amount of anybody else. And then that is about as congested as it comes as Valor, Cavalry, Halifax, York, and Ottawa all on eight points. Uh, Forge right behind them, five from five, a game in hand on all the teams above them as well. And, of course, Edmonton right at the bottom, certainly improving in terms of performance. Uh, looking ahead to the schedule next week as well, uh, what catches your eye here, Charlie? Ooh, there's there's some fantastic ones on this docket. Pacific and York will be an interesting one at Starlight Stadium because, you know, they're going to be seeing each other again very shortly in the Canadian Championship. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how many cards either team puts on the table for that game, I think, yeah. and see if they feel each other out a little bit for that one uh, and then Halifax hosting Forge on again on that Friday night is a very very interesting one both teams with some massive massive games coming up both teams playing an MLS team in midweek in the Canadian Championship following that so to see you know whether whether either side is able to maybe build a little momentum out of that game because I think that could be a massive result for either of those two teams you know if, if Halifax are to to welcome Forge and beat them at home, or if Forge are able to, you know, find that that you know little piece they need in the attacking third to win that game on the road, that could be a, a turning point for either team. Uh, we finish off with some breaking news, courtesy of our friend Benedict in the chat. It looks like Marcelo Flores' pursuit of Canada is over. I, it looks like he's chosen to represent Mexico. Uh, mm-hmm. So that is done. Um, I'm just catching that story right now, but. Uh, Charlie, your overall thoughts on this? It always seemed like it was going to be a a, yeah. a, a race that, that maybe Mexico would win. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not surprised, and I don't think it's particularly, you know, in, impactful to be completely honest. You know, I I don't think that a lot of people I think who are so adamant about Canada having to get him probably hadn't seen him play ever. I think, um, and I'm sure he's a very, very talented player and a, a player that would be a credit to Canada and their player pool, but I wouldn't be particularly upset. Canada is a very good team with a lot of depth, especially in the attack. So uh, you know, it would have been nice, but again, you, you win some, you lose some in this yeah. kind of, this kind of game. So you want dedicated people to your cause. Yeah. You don't want to be, pl- you don't want these charlatans deciding whether they want to come to you or not. Right. No. Like at the end of the day, like this quote that he said a few months ago, a few weeks ago is like, if Mexico's calls me to the world cup, I'll go. Well, what if they didn't, are you, no. are you, you want to play for Mexico or you don't want to play for Mexico? Like, yeah. like, so like, I get it. It's a difficult decision for a young kid. Uh, and this is not being, you know, negative towards him because he's turned his back on Canada. Wish him all the best. He's a fantastic young player. But at the end yeah. of the day, you want play people dedicated to the team and 
not people. Uh, certainly, you know what? That's what we want as Canadians. You know who else wants that, Charlie? The players in the dressing room. Yes. The players in the dressing room, all 23 of them or 26 of them go to Qatar, all look at each other and go, I know you want to be here. They don't yeah. need people going, oh, I kind of pretended I want to be here. I was looking for another team, but they didn't pick me. So I came in and this was my second choice. No yeah. more second choices. You don't done. want you don't want to be giving up one of those very limited seats on the plane to Qatar to a player who hasn't been there the whole ride for that, you know, incredible qualification journey. So again, nothing to lose sleep over. I you think. work too hard to build that camaraderie, work too yes. hard to build that chemistry because it comes from the heart and the wanting to be there. Yeah. And when you insert people into an environment, it's important that you do your due diligence and they need to be the right characters. So Absolutely. yes, would he have been a great addition on the pitch? Of course. But his heart somewhere else, goodbye. You move Find on. someone else. All right. And we'll say goodbye to you, everybody else. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Went a little bit long there with some breaking news. Um, Canadian Premier League continues to smash bangers every week, by the way. <laughs> uh, Sean Rayer, again, another screamer. Uh, it's been a fantastic weekend. Thank you for watching. Uh, God bless. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you next week.